देर दिस इज भावना यू आर लिसनिंग टू द जेनेटिक कोड बाय आइसैक एसमोव लेट स्टार्ट विद द फर्स्ट चैप्टर ऑफ द बुक इनहेरिटेंस एंड क्रोमोजोम्स बिफोर साइंस एवरी वुमन नोज वेन शी बिकम्स अ मदर she knows that the baby is her own because it has issued forth from her own body the concept of fatherhood is a little harder to grasp it took time before primitive man realized that he had any essential part in the creation of a baby eventually however this notion was grasped and by the time any group of men had become civilized the idea of fatherhood was established Once the realization of fatherhood came the family itself took on a new meaning a child was no longer something that happened inexplicably to a woman proving an encumbrance to the man who happened to be consorting with her at the time it had also become a part of the man himself a portion of his body come to life and grown again young from an encumbrance the child became a symbol of immortality a creature who would live on when the father died and who would remain the representative of the family the child was a portion of a continuing group whose feats redounded to the credit of all other members of the group living and dead and yet to be born and whose shame disgraced all The Bible itself has many references to the tragedy of childlessness which would involve the death of a family. Along with the realization of fatherhood there arose almost inevitably some feeling about the inheritance of qualities and characteristics. In the first place the son often visibly resembled his father. This became in fact the one sure sign that the husband of the mother was indeed the father of the child from this it is but a step to the feeling that the son inherits the more intangible qualities of the father courage temperament various skills if a man has proven himself fit to rule it can easily be assumed that his son must automatically possess those qualities that make the father fit to rule it made sense therefore that kinship should descend from father to son it was this notion of a tight organic unity binding the generations through physical continuity and the inheritance of characteristics that formed the background to the emergence of such phenomena as ancestor worship feuds and vendettas aristocracies caste systems and even racism nor is this notion of family lost among us today many of the strict tribalist notions of early man have gone but we still know exactly what we mean when we say that someone comes from of a good family we are still ready to visit the sins of the parents upon the children by suspecting that children of parents who came to know good can scarcely come to good themselves the notion then 
of the inheritance of characteristics of the passing on of qualities from parents to children is one of the oldest most widespread most firmly fixed notions held by the human race it is one of the most important considering the manner in which it has affected the human social structure anything that can clarify the manner in which such inheritance of characteristics come about anything which reduces it from intuitive tradition to precise scientific knowledge cannot fail to be the greatest interest and importance genetics it was not until the 1860s that anyone actually experimented with the mechanism of inheritance it was only then that precise observations were made recorded and carefully analyzed the man who did this was an augustinian monk named gregor mendel who in an austrian monastery indulged in his hobby of botany he grew pea plants of different varieties crossed them carefully and noted the manner in which different characteristics of coloring of seed appearance of length of stem were developed out of this experimentation came certain simple conclusions that are now called the mendelian laws of inheritance these laws it turned out applied with equal vigor not only to peas but to all creatures to fruit flies to mice and to men when these laws were applied to human inheritance it was deduced that both parents male and female contributed equally to the inheritance of the child for each physical characteristic each parent contributed one factor the two factors that thus governed a particular characteristic might not be quite alike for instance one parent might contribute an eye color factor that produced blue eyes while the other might contribute a brown eyes factor in combination one factor might outweigh the other for example a person who had inherited a factor for brown eyes and one for blue eyes would be brown eyed however the factor for blue eyes would persist and in combination with other such factor might produce a blue eyed child in the next generation in the early 20th century these factors came to be called genes from a greek word meaning to give birth to and the science dealing with the manner in which these genes are inherited and in which the characteristics that they determine are displayed were was named genetics in working with pea plants mendel was fortunate to have dealt with a simple organism the breeding of which could be controlled the various characteristics he studied were each determined by a single gene pair and so he obtained useful results in the more complex organisms characteristics are likely to be the product of a number of genes working in cooperation furthermore such genes may produce characteristics that are themselves affected by environmental conditions it then becomes difficult to disentangle the threads of inheritance
Among human beings, particularly, there are problems. Some characteristics, such as blood types, can be followed fairly well. Many others, even some as apparently simple as skin color, have complicated patterns of inheritance that have not been worked out. To be sure, folk wisdom often supplies answers that seem plausible and on which racist theories are built for which men may be willing to die. Matters are neither as simple nor as bloody for the scientists, however. To work out the complexities of inheritance, it is not enough to deal with the intact organism and to study only those characteristics that appear to the unaided eye and mind. This is something like trying to work out the rules of football by studying only a series of final scores. One can tell from the number of items those scores are multiples of 6 and 7 that there must be some play that counts 6 points and another play that counts 7th. If one could listen to the shouting from the stands, one might be able to deduce the fact that there is a minimum playing time of 1 hour divided into 2 equal halves. To get farther along, however, one would have to watch an actual game. Cell Division In the latter half of the 19th century, biologists got down to the actual game. They did this by taking up the careful study of the microscopic cells which make up all living matter. Each cell is a drop of fluid, very complex in structure and chemistry, surrounded by a thin membrane and possessing a small central body called a nucleus. The cell is the unit of life and although an organism may be made up of many trillions of cells, all the properties and characteristics of the organism can be traced back to the functions and activities of one group of cells or another, or some combination of the groups. The color of a man's skin depends upon the activity of certain cells in the skin which manufacture a brownish-black pigment. The greater the ability of those cells to manufacture this pigment, the darker the man's skin. If a man suffers from diabetes, it is because certain cells in his pancreas fail to manufacture, for one reason or another, a particular substance. We can reason like this indefinitely and as we do so, we cannot avoid the thought that, if we understood how the properties and characteristics of cells are passed on, we would thereby understand how the properties and characteristics of whole organisms are passed on. Thus, skin cells periodically divide so that two new skin cells exist where only one had before. Each of the new cells has precisely the capacity to produce the pigment that the parent cell had originally. How was that capacity preserved? About 1880, a German biologist, Walter Fleming, studied the process of cell division carefully. He found that the nucleus contained material which could pick up a red dye that would make it stand out clearly against a colorless background. This material was therefore named chromatin. 
from a Greek word for color. During the process of cell division, the chromatin col collects into pairs of thread-like bodies called chromosomes. Since these thread-like chromosomes play the essential role in cell division, the process was named mitosis from a Greek word for thread. At the crucial moment just before the cell division occurs, pairs of chromosomes pull apart. One of each pair goes to one side of the dividing cell while the other goes to the opposite side. When cell division is, uh, is completed, each new cell has an equal number of chromosomes. Put this way, it might seem that each new cell had only one half of the original number of chromosomes. This however is not so. Before the separation of chromosomes, each chromosome somehow forms a replica of itself. This process is therefore, therefore called replication. It is only after this doubling that the cells divide. Each new cell consequently has a full set of chromosome pairs identical with the original set possessed by the parent cell. Each new cell is ready for a new division at which time the process of doubling followed by halving will be repeated. Since chromosomes are so carefully conserved in cell division and so carefully parcelled out among the new cells, it seems natural to assume that it is these chromosomes that somehow govern the characteristics and functions of the cells. If the daughter cells possess all the abilities of the parent cell, it is because they possess either the original chromosomes of the parent or exact replicas of those chromosomes. But can one be sure that because the chromosomes carry within themselves their structure the ability to determine the characteristics of a particular cell. They can also be responsible for the characteristics of a whole organism. The best argument in affirmative answer to that question is to point out that all organisms, however large and complex they may be when full grown, begin as but a single cell. This is true of the human being, for instance, who begins life as a fertilized ovum produced by the union of an egg cell of the mother and a sperm cell of the father. The original egg cell is the largest cell actually produced by the human body of either sex. Even so, it is only one two hundredth of an inch across, just barely visible to the naked eye. Somewhere in that small object are present all the factors that represent the mother's contribution to the inherited characteristics of the child. Most of the material in the egg, however, is food, itself inert and non-living. It is the nucleus of the egg, making up a very tiny portion of the whole that is the truly living part. It is that which carries the genetic factors. This may sound like no more than a guess until we consider the father's contribution. The sperm cell contains no food to speak of. Once it combines with the egg cell, it is the food supply of the latter that will have to do for the fertilization. 
Consequently, the sperm cell is much smaller than the egg cell. It is in fact only 1 by 80,000th the size of the egg cell. It is the smallest cell produced by the human body of either sex. That tiny sperm cell nevertheless contains the entire contribution of the father to the child's inheritance. That contribution exactly equals the mother's. The interior of the sperm cell consists almost entirely of well-packed chromosomes, one of each pair existing in human cells. There are 23 altogether. The egg cell in its own nucleus also contains 23 chromosomes, one of each pair present in the mother's cells. In the formation of the egg cells and the sperm cells, we have the only case of the parceling out of chromosomes without prior replication. Egg cells and sperm cells therefore have half sets of chromosomes. This situation is corrected when sperm cell and egg cell fuse together to form the fertilized ovum, which contains 23 pairs of chromosomes, one of each pair from the mother and one of each pair from the father. It is common knowledge that mother and father contribute equally to the characteristics inherited by the child. While the mother's egg cell contains much besides chromosomes and the father's sperm cells contribute nothing more than one half set of chromosomes, it seems therefore an inescapable conclusion that the chromosomes contain the genetic factor not only for individual cells but for entire organisms no matter how complicated. To be sure, since one cannot suppose that there are only 23 different characteristics in the human body, no one has suggested that each chromosome determines only one characteristic. It is assumed instead that each chromosome is made up of a whole string of genes, each of which determines a different characteristic. One modern estimate is that each human chromosome contains somewhat more than 3000 genes. Beginning about 1900, it came to be realized thanks to the pioneer work of a Dutch botanist Hugo de Vries that inheritance doesn't always proceed smoothly. Sometimes new characteristics arise that do not resemble those of either parent. This is now called mutation from a Latin word meaning change. Mutations can be interpreted in the light of chromosome theory. Sometimes chromosomes are imperfectly shared in the course of cell division. An, an egg or a sperm cell can end up with one chromosome too few or too many. The resultant imbalance would then be shared by all the cells in the body. The serious consequences of such imbalances have been fully recognized only in very recent years, at least as far as man is concerned. The chromosomes are present within our cells in what appears to be such a complex jumble that it was only in 1956 that the correct count of 46 chromosomes to the human cell was established. Before that, it had been thought that there were 48 to the cell. New techniques were developed for isolating and studying the chromosomes and by 1959, it was discovered that children who were born with a form of mental retardation called monogalism 
possessed not 46 but 47 chromosomes to the cell other more or less serious disorders are also being traced to abnormal numbers of chromosomes and to distortions of chromosomes arising during cell division nevertheless not all mutations can be traced to gross changes in the chromosomes many indeed most show up where there is no visible change in the chromosomes at all it would seem reasonable to assume that in these last cases changes in the chromosomes have taken place but at a level invisible to the eye even when that organ is aided by the microscope the changes must have taken place in the submicroscopic structure of the substance making up the chromosomes if this is so then it becomes time to probe still deeper that is to and to enter the domain of the chemist but before we can ask what chemical changes do take place in the chromosomes we must first ask of what chemical substances are chromosomes composed of this brings us to the end of the first chapter inheritance and chromosomes stay tuned for the next chapters to come in the following episodes thank you for listening